0: Hello, and welcome to Tradeoffs, a podcast where we ask chief executives to explain how they're building more sustainable companies. I'm Ned Salter, Global Head of Investment Research at Fidelity International, and in this episode, I'm interviewing Greg Heckman, CEO of Agricultural Commodities Multinational Bungie. Size matters when you're a global buyer and seller of crops. From a worldwide network of farmers to an intercontinental spread of customers, Bungie's reach is a bedrock of supply and demand. It's on that foundation it's able to spot trends and gauge prices. It also provides the basis for its colossal supply chain, the beating heart of the business. That supply chain opens up a raft of ESG issues. Land management and deforestation, fair treatment of farmers, transport-related emissions, food security, to name but a few and then how to manage the cost and the pricing to make that supply chain as sustainable as possible. Greg Heckman has been chief executive of Bungie since 2019, and he joined me via Zoom last October from the company's headquarters in the United States. Greg Heckman, CEO of Bungie, welcome to Tradeoffs. Thank you. You were brought into Bungie about three years ago to turn the company around, and that must have been a challenge, you know, re-engineering the culture of a company of 32,000 employees in some 40 countries, improving financial performance, and all the while looking to improve the company's sustainability credentials, sometimes in complex or or contentious regions. You must have faced a handful of trade-offs in trying to achieve all of those goals concurrently. How did you balance those demands?
1: we connect farmers to the consumers of feed, food, and fuel. And Bungie's been doing it uh, sustainably for a very long time before I got here. Uh, in fact, our, uh, our 2025 uh, deforestation-free uh, pledge, had, had that commitment had been put in place uh, back in 2015, but we had the opportunity to, to act as a global company Where we had really been operating more as regions and the operating model change is what allowed us to really look at problems that we and only we can solve sometimes uh, because we have a major uh, uh, global footprint we're in all the key origins uh, where the production is and we're in those key areas of destination
0: you mentioned deforestation so i want to go down the deforestation path here for a little bit and i guess our view, collectively, is that without proper action on deforestation, we may fall short of our climate targets, and you've positioned Bungie as a leader in combating deforestation. Uh, but it but it is true that a big part of your business includes working with soybean farmers, um, and particularly this is an industry at the heart of deforestation issues in, in Latin America. So. How do you characterize the trade-offs associated uh, when it comes to you know, the growth and feeding the world and, and deforestation in particular?
1: I guess part of, the, part of the trade-off maybe is how you spend your time and how you spend your resources because it is about engaging with the entire value chain. We have to engage with the farmer to, to help them, whether it's educating them what this all means to them economically in the short term, in the long run, Uh, providing tools uh, to track the deforestation and to ensure what's happening to provide the tools in the value chain so that we can track not only with our direct uh, purchases, but with our indirect purchases. Then if you go all the way to the consumer, it's working with the consumer to ensure that they understand what is available and that we can provide them certified deforestation-free soy that that has a cost and that that cost is so that we can get that value back to the producer so that they can make those changes. We also have to engage with industry groups. Uh, We have to engage with the regulatory bodies because it's important that we do have regulation that that is clear and that is consistent so that ourselves and other players in the value chain can make investments with long-term capital that makes the changes that help drive sustainability for the long-term. And the other thing I often say is end at scale because the key to really making a difference is being able to drive this change at scale.
0: So a trade-off to characterize it is effectively how you spend your time. It's not just growth, but it's growing responsibly. Is it feasible for us at scale to feed the world without further deforestation? I know you've made a pledge, but how would you characterize this at the industry level?
1: Yeah. It, it is, but it, it will take uh, all of us working together. Um, there needs to be uh, a real push on the education so that we all have the same information at the same time. And whether that's about converting uh, lands that are already available into crop, if it's about bringing the technology, and that's whether that's in the seed side or the nutrient side to improve yields uh, on, on that land. Um, whether it's about working with the, the financial organizations to drive the the incentives of maybe lower cost financing, uh, which we have some programs like that today for those that are participating uh, and producing in a sustainable
0: way, what kind of technologies might be worth investing in to be able to achieve this you know growth and feeding the world without you know further deforestation?
1: Now, some of the, the big ones that you've seen really making a difference, one is the monitoring uh, technology so that we can ensure where deforestation uh, is happening uh, and that, that we can then help uh, stop that where we can. Uh, we can track, of course, where we're purchasing from. And then from the information that needs to be managed all the way through the value chain is giving those end customers Uh, that want a more sustainable product. And again, whether that's a feed, food, or fuel customer, that we're tracking that product all the way through the value chain to be able to give them that certification so that they can make the assurances they want to their customers.
0: Okay. So scale matters. And it sounds like what you're looking for is also increased transparency throughout these supply chains um, will allow us to achieve these goals. One thing I was curious about when I was preparing for the interview is I understood that three quarters of soybean production is actually used to feed pork and poultry stock rather than humans directly. And I guess I wondered if you thought that consumers should make different trade-offs possibly when it comes to diet versus the environment. We're curious if you had a view on that.
1: Look, the, the one thing that we can count on you know, over time is is the market works. Uh, we do need to to listen to consumers, and I think that has uh, been the history. Right, is providing choice, providing alternatives, uh, people having the the transparency of the facts about what is available, about if there's a cost difference, why there's a cost difference, um, and and then being able to address that unmet need with the consumer, and then being able to help drive that value, as we said, back down the supply chain, because a lot of times the producer, the farmer. Uh, is the one that we lean on the hardest. And, and they're in a lot of times the lowest margin, most highly volatile due to weather and things outside of their control, uh, production area of the value chain. So we need to be very careful that, that we do send consistent signals and that we do get that value there so that they can drive that change. And we need to make sure that we never ever demonize the farmer uh, in, in this process.
0: How significant... Um, are the geographical differences in people's approach to land conservation? Do you see different appetites in different regions in the in the farmers that you or the partners that you work with?
1: A- absolutely, because each region is different. Um, whether you're talking about the the biome in the Serrada, which is which is a savanna, uh, other parts of of Brazil where uh, it is you know formerly rainforest whether you're looking in Southeast Asia, where the palm plantations, where we understand what's happening regionally, where we can build consistency in how we talk about it, how the regulations built, how the industry works to help get them to market. Um, There there is not a, a one size fits all globally. And that's why engaging with all the partners in the supply chain, whether it's palm, whether it's soy in Argentina, whether it's uh, soy in, in, in Mato Grosso in Brazil, whether it's soy in Serrata in, in Brazil, they have different challenges in different opportunities. And so this, this is why it takes engagement and education and getting the economics right.
0: Where there are more pronounced agricultural or food deficits, do you think uh, as a society, we should, and as an organization, you, we should allow, you know, the deforestation efforts to lag versus more developed markets, for example? Or do you think the world should be increasing its focus on deforestation at an equivalent pace?
1: One of the important roles that, that Bungie and uh, in our industry plays is getting things from the areas where they are surplus to the areas wh- where they are deficit uh, and today this isn't about the, the volume, it's about the economics. So uh, I, I believe we don't have to make a trade off there that we can meet uh, the growing demand, but we do need to work together and ensure that again, we're operating with the facts that we're using all of the technology that we have uh, around seed, around nutrients, around the lowest cost uh, of tracking things through the value chain and moving them through the value chain, Uh, bringing investments in how we process it in the most sustainable and efficient way with the least amount of energy and the least amount of water, uh, and ultimately delivering that to the end consumer.
0: You mentioned regulation, so I want to unpack that a little bit more. We're talking um, uh, private sector efforts here to help the cessation of deforestation um, while achieving agricultural goals that are required. Um, But what support needs to change from a regulatory perspective? What what regulatory changes would be supportive to help decarbonize the agriculture industry?
1: We need uh, consistency uh, in in regulation um, and we need the uh, longevity of regulation because that's what helps drive the investment. And and we need some support. And of course, that support uh, needs to be driven to the farm level to again, incent the producer to make those changes. Um, Because today you can have the challenge in South America where the farmer has the right to legally deforest. We need to get the economics right so that they understand the other alternatives so they don't need to do any additional deforestation even where it's legal because they have a better economic outcome to expand, to convert areas that have already been converted, that they convert those to croplands and to continue to drive yields on existing production areas.
0: You know, as, a, as responsible leaders, is this something you would work with the Brazilian government to help drive forward? Are they doing enough on that front? or Are there things that you think they should specifically do? And would you work with them to help accomplish those goals? No,
1: we're working with everyone along the supply chain, in, including the governments, uh, including NGOs. And in the governments, it isn't just on the production end that you need to work with. We're working with the governments on the consuming end. Because at times, if they put regulation in place on the, cons- the consuming countries and it hasn't been thought through and we don't have all the facts, you can get some real unintended consequences back in the, in the country that has the production.
0: I was thinking about all these initiatives that Bungie has underway, and I wondered if you could help characterize the trade-off or the complexity associated with affordability versus sustainability. You've talked about monitoring conservation initiatives, (laughs) ensuring supply chains are deforestation-free. This doesn't come free or cheap, I wouldn't expect. It's obviously a, a cost to Bungie and others in the supply chain to monitor and conserve land. So how do you think about that, that sort of trade-off between affordability uh, and sustainability?
1: Well, as the, the largest global oil seed processor and one of the, the, the largest agricultural commodity merchants globally, we feel it's our responsibility. So we also feel that uh, long-term, it, it's the right thing. Um, So we're making those investments. So as we get to scale, we believe some of those investments will get paid back with the long-term by growing our business, by helping our most important customers at both ends of the supply chain grow their business. uh, And by being able to continue to drive that education and knowledge and transparency. So we all
0: have the same information at the same time. But if you bore all those costs by yourselves, one could argue that, you know, profit levels would be lower, lower, therefore reinvestment rates would be lower. Your ability to innovate would be lower. Who's sharing in this burden with you?
1: You have to make choices. You have to to pick the spots. And that is, again, by listening to the customers, uh, what's important to them. As uh, we in the last two and a half years, have really seen the conversation switch where it's customers in not only the food, but in the feed and in the the fuel segment all want lower carbon intensity products. Um, And they're hearing it from their customers and their consumers and their investors, and they know they're going to have to pay for for that along the way. So it is a collaborative effort uh, on some of these investments and looking for where we can gain some traction and start to build some scale to make a shorter-term payback.
0: So at some point, um, as customers' demands change, clients are gonna be uh, required or sh- you know, theoretically should be willing to pay higher prices for this element of sustainability?
1: Absolutely. They'll pay more for what's important to them. They'll pay more for, for what they want. And the consumer is sending a, a strong signal Uh, that they want more sustainable products. Um, And not only the ones they consume, the ones they use, they want it to be delivered with more sustainable fuel and the delivery trucks. And this is is a real trickle down. And what's interesting now is you not only have the consumers sending that economic signal, but you have governments that are doing some things with regulation to help support the build-out of these industries uh, on the front end. And when you can get, you know, regulation and the consumers moving together, that's when you start to really see the change and, and 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 we feel that we're really starting to see that wave and see it gain momentum.
0: Okay, great. So it's interesting to see the customer tastes changing and in effect, presumably their willingness to pay for it change in time. Just shifting gear slightly, you mentioned obviously you, you know your supply chains, which is something I'd love to to talk about. And I guess from the angle of decarbonization. You know, we've spoken about deforestation, but within your supply chain, what are the opportunities to, to decarbonize?
1: Well, of course, the the very first thing is the difference that that we can make in our own facilities and in our own activities. Uh, we have uh, done a number of things over, you know, more than a decade to lower our energy use, lower our water use, lower our output of, of greenhouse gases. Um, and to help support that, we have... have committed to science-based targets. Um, so we're showing people the work that we're doing, we're showing the path uh, that we're doing it on, uh, and we're excited about the progress that we're making. But the, the big part of, of getting uh, to our science-based targets, of course, is our, uh, to be our pledge to be deforestation free in our supply chains in 2025. Uh, and that's, that's a big part of working with the producers uh, working in in our supply chains in both palm and soy.
0: A lot of the soybeans, for example, need to travel immense distances. In your goals to connect the food to the consumers or to the organizations that are your customers, how do you reconcile that? You know, do we need to be better at growing locally? How can we reduce the the, the carbon footprint of the transportation? Uh, this ultimately is
1: about ensuring that we are producing things as efficiently as possible in those areas of that have the most comparative advantage and then moving them most efficiently to the areas where they need to be consumed. That's really what Bungie is about. That's what we're doing with our global platform. Now, it's a, it's a more challenging world um, with a lot of the, the, the weather uh, that is definitely more volatile now being driven by climate change. And so you've got to have that global footprint to be able to react quickly uh, to solve those origins and destination pairings to get things from where they're produced to where they're needed. And one of the challenges now with the disruption caused by uh, by the war is that every origin destination is is no longer available. And, and that uh, is unfortunate, right? It makes it harder to solve these problems and they're not being solved in the most efficient way.
0: You mentioned science-based targets. And as investors um, in Bungie, we're, we're, you know, we're really pleased to see the science-based targets. One of the things I noticed, though, is that um, if, I'm, if I'm correct, there is no net zero target. And I guess I was, I was interested in your perspective on net zero targets. Is this relevant and at what cost?
1: One, one of the things that we've been very careful about here at Bungie is ensuring that we deliver on what we say we're going to do. And the thing we like about science-based targets is the, you know there is a, an organization, there is a methodology. There really is no equivalent to that for people making net zero pledges, so over time we'll watch that develop. We have the ability to continue to move our targets and our pledges as we see uh, fit over time. Uh, but right now we're really focused on on delivering against our science based targets.
0: Yeah, the achievement a lot of, of a lot of these, you know, climate oriented goals. Um, you know, is causing uh, industry leaders and organizations to look inward at their, you know, the emissions of their own operations. To what extent does Bungie take responsibility for emissions related to the farming practices? I guess, in effect, the scope three.
1: Yeah, it it's a big, uh, the scope three is, of course, a, a big part of what we're trying to solve with our deforestation free uh, pledge. Um, it is also uh, by working through a number of, uh, different seed providers and in, in technology development. One of the investments that we've made, and we're working with Chevron and Bear, is in covercress. Uh, we're developing a, a novel seed that would be a cover crop. It would be a, an extra crop that we planted in the off-season by the farmer. It would have a very low carbon intensity, and it would provide an oil seed and a, a meal that can go into the market, which will be extra supply. So I think that's a case of the investment in innovation that the market is now sending the signals uh, for the industry to make
0: do you think that the farmers themselves um need to change the way that they've been working and you talked about education you've talked about novel seeds innovation and in technology do the farmers need to reorient their perspectives on profit versus investment um how do you counsel them
1: yeah i think that the key with the farmers if you look in history Farmers have always
0: adapted,
1: right? They're listening to the market and the market signals. So it's our job to make sure that we are connecting them uh, to the new markets that will pay for them to make investments, uh, for them to make changes into their practices. But they have to know that they've got that market and that it will be there in a year after year. Uh, they can't make an investment that. Uh, doesn't pan out, and then they have to make another investment the next year to go a different direction. So that's why it is so important to have the entire supply chain working together. But the farmers are very innovative. They have shown they they will adapt, they will change. Uh, and frankly, sometimes they're pushing us to help them innovate.
0: Okay, so back to the narrative that's run throughout our entire discussion today. The market should send the signal, the consumers should vote with their feet. Uh, the farmers are innovative, you will support them. And they will respond accordingly. Where should people be allocating capital to? I've read about plant based proteins or biofuels. What are some of the next generation things that we should be looking for capital deployment towards?
1: The biggest changes we're seeing are on the re- renewable feedstocks for the, the biofuels industry and renewable diesel specifically. And we think aviation, sustainable aviation fuel, will be next. Uh, and oil seeds. Uh, are a big supplier, that oil uh, is going to be a big part of the liquid fuels transition that the energy industry is trying to make to lower their carbon footprint. So we've got a, a real role to play. And then on the plant-based uh, foods front, we, uh, we're, we're very excited about that. And we think we'll continue to see growth in the plant-based food ingredients uh, we are a big supplier of the protein as well as the lipids in those products. In many of the meat alternative products, uh, we supply up to 95% of the ingredients. Uh, and that's a trend that's in place and even some of the alternative dairy products that are being developed.
0: You've positioned yourself, um, I guess, in uh, uh, you know servicing the renewable diesel industry. I wondered if you could just quickly talk a little bit about uh, the production process of renewable diesel.
1: Renewable diesel is... A very interesting compared to traditional biodiesel because the the product uh, is able to go right in the tank. It can go through the same distribution systems uh, to get to the consumers of the renewable diesel. So, as the energy industry converts refineries to make renewable diesel, they'll need more feedstocks, and those feedstocks are the renewable feedstocks from oil seeds. Uh, there's the distiller's oils, there's uh, uh, used cooking oils, and a number of those. But the big driver, the one that is at volume, is vegetable oil uh, that is going to be a, a big part of the development.
0: At what cost do they come? Is it a lower ROI project, return on investment project for you today with the hope that it pays off in future once you achieve scale? How do you characterize that decision as a CEO where to allocate the capital?
1: No, it, it is a, a big addressable market. Uh, right now. Um, the, we're seeing an improvement in overall uh, refining margins really driven by the oil price uh, the, of the vegetable oil. Uh, and, and that looks for years to come as renewable diesel continues to ramp up. And that's sending us the signal to expand uh, not only in our processing, but we're seeing expanding uh, acres in oilseeds.
0: There's a lot of commentary in the moment about food security. And and I guess the question is, is there a trade-off between food versus fuel in a world of scarce resources? And I read that 50% of U.S. corn goes into fuel. Um, how do you think about that potential trade-off between food versus fuel?
1: Yeah, we we don't see it as a trade-off. We see the ability to serve both our food customers uh, as well as the fuel customers. We've continued to work uh, with our food customers to get them the supplies they need. Uh, as markets adjust, we also work with them where they're reformulating at times to change oils. We work with them as they're innovating new products. Um, and, the, uh, and, and the market works, so we absolutely feel we can serve both the food uh, and the fuel customers.
0: Uh, food prices have become a big topic you know obviously with the cpi and inflation running higher H- how do you consider this do you know do you think that food security is a national security issue and and how have you interacted with your stakeholders on that topic
1: it's uh, our job to ensure that we help solve any uh concerns around getting food from where it's produced to where it's needed so food security is it's core to to who we are um we can solve these problems. Today, it has been an issue of price, not availability. And that's where we do engage with uh, governments to ensure that people don't react and actually put regulation in place that can be uh, the unintended consequences of actually making the problem worse uh, than helping solve the problem. And so again, it's about that education and that engagement to ensure, to to let the markets work so that we can solve these problems.
0: You mentioned plant-based proteins, and I guess, can you just talk a little bit about how big or small you think that that potential end market could be, and what the consequences to, um, I guess, your business or to your customers' businesses might be if that uh, became a really big, big part of the market?
1: Yeah, we think plant-based proteins uh, is a developing market and it'll continue to grow long-term. It'll still be a a rather small percentage of uh, compared to total protein, total meat consumed, uh, but it'll be an important market uh, over the long-term. But we'll still see protein continue to grow uh, as well. So if you just look population growth and the changes in per per capita consumption uh, as income per capita increases globally, uh, we'll see growth in both areas.
0: People eat meat mostly, I suspect, because it tastes good. And so, I guess I was wondering if, if we collectively can really persuade people to shift. And is this a push or a pull dilemma?
1: Um, it, you know, in in food, the one thing that uh, that we know it's important that it tastes good and that it's priced right. <laughs> and the consumer will remind uh, anyone who gets that wrong uh, of that fact very quickly. So. Uh, we work with our customers to uh, to ensure, and sometimes it's uh, it's a push, but you have to get it right. And ultimately, when you get it right, it's a pull from the consumer.
0: We've talked a lot about you know all the stuff that Bungie is doing and all of the efforts that you're taking to grow your business and combat climate change and deforestation. What areas still need attention? You know, what are the areas that still need the most work? What are the problems left unsolved?
1: You know, I, I think the you know the biggest problem continues to be getting everyone with the same information at the same time. Um, the These are these are big issues, and they will take investments, and they will take collaboration, uh, and the value chains, the supply chains working together. And we're we're committed to that. That's why we continue to make investments, uh, with our time, with, with our money. Uh, to work with all the players in the value chain uh, to make this change. Because uh, it's the right thing. The consumers want it. Uh, People are engaged. But it's complex. It's, uh, It's not easy.
0: Greg Heckman, Chief Executive of Bungie, thank you for coming on Tradeoffs. Thank you. And thank you for listening. To hear what our investment team have to say about this interview, and to get the broader investment implications of what's been discussed, listen to the trade-offs analysis, also on the Fidelity Answers podcast feed now. You can read and watch more on this interview and other conversations with CEOs, plus bonus material, at your local Fidelity website or at fidelityinternational.com. Check for links in the show notes. The producer was Seb Morton-Clark, with technical support from Adam Sheldrake and Callum Blitz. The editor is Richard Edgar. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.